Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure and honor to welcome my guest, Sean Chang. Hey Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on here, Blair. Oh man, the pleasure is all mine. I'm really excited um, to get to know you tonight and thank you for your time. Truly. Oh, of course. No, I, again, I love what you're doing and I what an honor it is to be on here and just share a little bit of my story. Um, man, no, the honor is truly mine. Um, before we jump into what Sean does, I'm even more honored because uh, I'm sure you're exhausted from the, from what I would imagine is a really long day that I'm going to learn about um, in this next hour. So, Sean, without further ado, what is it that you do? Hey, so I'm a restaurateur specifically. Um, I opened up a Korean fried chicken concept here in the city of Atlanta. And yeah, I kind of do a little bit of everything, uh, jack of all trades sorts. So I opened the concept with my best friend, but I did the entire menu. I mean, I run the store, I manage schedule, everything that a manager does. But like today we had someone not available for our morning shift. So I went in and did cashier, um, greeted customers being personable as well too. So everything that goes around the restaurant, I've kind of built it with a lot of help as well, mm -hmm. but as well as still maintaining and giving it sustenance. Um, that's really incredible. I can't, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of work that goes into something like that. And I'm excited to hear how it all started. Can you remind, um, my list or not remind, can you tell my listeners, uh, how old you are? Yeah, I'm 26 years old. Okay. Like that's so crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've probably accomplished more in your life than I have, um, in my, I'm 10 years older than you. And so <laughs> No, everyone, everyone's in their own lane, in their own journey. And yes. there's, yeah. So I don't, you know, a lot of people do say, wow, like, well, like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I was like, what? And they're like, oh, you did something. Yeah, you dreamt of something. You actually did it. But yeah. I was like, teach their own. Your timing will come. And, you know, sure, it might not be a restaurant, but those small accomplishments you have in life, I, as long as you get, you get to them and you're able to do them, I think you're just as successful or more mm -hmm. as what people say out to be. No, Sean, you know, I really appreciate you saying that. I I, I am also a big fan of, hey, it's the time is coming. Your time is coming. It's all about the timing and God's timing of whatever it mm -hmm. is that he has planned for your life. So I appreciate you saying that because it's really encouraging, even for me. Right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, okay, so what is your restaurant called? Yeah, our restaurant is called Mokja Korean Fried Chicken. Um, so, okay, I have so many questions, um, but, <laughs> but uh, let's, start, let's start with this. How, why a Korean fried chicken place in specifically the city of Atlanta? Yeah, so it's a huge story, but the best way to kind of paraphrase or, or, or shorten the reasoning is um, I took a lot of inspiration. I grew up in the 2000s era, like the beginning of YouTube, a lot of exposure to the internet, as well as what other people are doing around the world. And I was just inspired as a Korean American that moved to Georgia, Buford specifically, mm. um, next to a lot of farms. I think we were one of the first subdivisions in our street to open up. Um, there wasn't much to do. As, as, if you're familiar with Georgia, you need cars uh, mm. to get anywhere as an adult. But if you're, you know, elementary school student, you, you're you're kind of just stuck at home or playing with your neighborhood friends. Um, and so that brought up a lot of influence of me seeing these up and rising Asian American chefs from the 2000s, whether it's big names such as David Chang, 
or Eddie Long, you know, uh, Edward Lee in Kentucky, or it's going to be Roy Choi with Kogi Truck. And so those were like, oh my goodness, Kogi Truck. That's okay. That's like really old school. (laughs) Yeah. So it was those moments and those early exposures that really planted the seed for cooking. It's not like I wanted to grow up and be a restaurateur, but, um, you know, when the opportunity came and I was put in a position uh, to, I guess, figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I said, wow, I want to do cooking. I love serving people. Mm. Uh, What is the best way to serve Atlanta, uh, the city that I want to be in? Because our mission statement is to bring Korean flavors to the Southeast and eventually all of America. And so what better way than having fried chicken or um, think of it as a blank canvas or your your vehicle, which is going to be Southern familiar foods, such as fried chicken, mac and cheese, slaw, things of that nature, and adding Korean elements and flavor so that it's not too foreign for people to be introduced to. Wow. Okay. I mean, so this wasn't just something that you thought of overnight. It really sounds like something you dreamed of. Oh, yeah. If I really look at it, it was like so many moments of my life have really shaped up to this moment, per se. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into that, Sean. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you alluding to right now? What do my listeners need to know? Oh, man. Uh, as in like my entire upbringing or about the restaurant or? Let's start from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. like even like your upbringing, like how you. Yeah, how you started dreaming something like this up. Yeah, from the from you said you grew up in Buford. Is that what you said? Yeah, so but I was originally born in Los Angeles, California, oh. uh, in Downey. Uh, so surrounded by a huge Korean community. Um, I went to UC Irvine. I don't know. If oh you know wow! That. Yeah, that I did not know that. Yeah, oh my, my parents. My parents they live um, in Costa Mesa right now. Okay, mm-hmm. so my family still. I guess all my extended family still live out there. So they're in Anaheim. They're in Koreatown. Um, where where else? Um, I think Buena Park as well okay. too. Yeah, yeah they're yeah, still yeah. Uh, still Torrance. So they're still out there. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's kind of I grew, I was born around um, that Galleria area. Um, lived there so until crazy. I was three. <laughs> okay, uh, and then moved to Torrance. Uh-huh. And even at like while going to school in Torrance, like thing about California compared to here, there's so many more Asians. Right. And so yeah, I, I grew up around so many Korean people. I spoke a lot of Korean growing up. Um, my family's super big on family so like weekends we went over to Komo's house mm. uh, and you know waking up super early uh, you know she had omurice and whatever she was making for that day and if it was a kimchi like week, that's what we we're doing or if it was just like a you know watch Korean dramas with the older drinking pakasu and you know eating matongsan <laughs> like <laughs> you know that was our weekends uh, but being exposed to a lot of family time and in doing so more Korean food that was a really big, I guess, shaping or pivotal moment in my life. Uh, mm. Because when I moved over to Georgia, um, my parents had divorced uh, and I moved with my dad and my younger brother here in Buford, Georgia. Mm. Um, there, it was like really hard to get Korean food uh, other than if you were cooking at home. Right, but right. I moved that, I moved when I was eight years old. So what did I know how to do? A kerangai with like pop, ganjang, and changirum, you know? <laughs> uh, it's delicious, but I'm not going to get any fancier than that unless yeah. my dad was taking me out. But as as you know, like many other immigrants, everyone's hustling to put food on the table, pay for the bills. So I rarely saw my dad. He was hustling. And um, mm. and if I did see him, he would just, or he wanted to see us, he was just bringing us along to work. 
Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he was an entrepreneur by heart um, over there uh, and over here. Uh -huh. so he had like taquerias. He had like um, um, nightclubs. This is going to be a while. You're, you're like really confused what? right now. <laughs> but um, my dad, his story is even incredible as well, too, because his family immigrated to Argentina in Buenos Aires before coming no to LA. Way. Yeah. Dude, Sean, I just feel like we've gotten a lot closer in the last five minutes. So my <laughs> husband is Korean Brazilian. That's crazy. There's yeah. actually a lot of Koreans in South America. There's so lot. many. There's so many. So many. Okay, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean his span he he spoke he ended up learning Spanish because he moved there when he was 20, he lived there for like seven years or so, and then eventually moved to LA. And even in LA, it's like so many Mexican people because right. it used to be Baja California. So, mm -hmm. so even in the work that they do, they still work with Mexicans on a day to day. They're speaking Spanish. So he, instead of learning English, he's just Korean and some broken Spanish. And that's kind of the business sense that he took here when he moved to Georgia. That's, that's why crazy. we had the taquerias so and, the, and, the, and the nightclubs. Oh my um, gosh. Wait, do you speak any Spanish? Uh, I actually, so I've been learning Spanish since middle school, uh -huh. very casually, but I just started uh, speaking the past year and a half. Uh -huh. uh, so it's uh, conversational um, wow. for the most part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm very thankful for it. Like, um, yeah, just having workers, a restaurant in industry is notorious for having, I guess, immigrants and, yes. you know, they only speak Spanish, but I have a have a huge heart for immigrants, um, just mm -hmm. their story, what they get here. Like, and as Korean owners, I see that there's a lot of burnout for the immigrants because they're just treated so poorly, paid very little. There's no communication because yeah. there's a language barrier. But for me, if I was going to go that route, I wanted to help them the best that I can because they're human at the end of the day. Yes. And I wanted to be personable because I know that relationship, taking care of someone, having being able to converse with each other uh, is an important part for good, re healthy relational building uh, and and good relation as a boss and, and employee. So I was I took it upon myself to start taking Spanish classes to be more intentional in in understanding their conversations and yeah it's definitely helped my business a lot yeah that's awesome um but i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt your flow um you were saying that you would go on like with your dad to these business uh, yeah. meetings and stuff exactly so like uh so if he's running the nightclub and there's no one to he, no one to babysit us he would just take us and we're just sitting in the office wild. and get wild <laughs> we're watching the cameras we're like you know nine my little brother's like six and we're just playing on our ds or something like that uh, -huh, uh, uh -huh. and you know the whole night's still going on and then we'll leave at like 4 a.m in the morning uh, we'll, i remember a lot of nights sleeping on the couch on the weekends things hustling, like that hustling. yeah and you know that's what pop was doing to, to feed us and you know yeah. we were just following it along but lot, now that i look back i was like wow it was those moments I was like my dad's like like he's a hustler yeah, yeah. yeah for sure for sure amazing okay so do you feel like I mean it sounds like you're what you're saying is a lot of your entrepreneurial like kind of heart maybe is inherited from your dad I definitely think it's from my family like mm. uh, I think everyone on my family side they're all entrepreneurs like I know that uh, my uh, with her husband owns like a clothing store in okay. Korea. Uh, so family, like my they all do um, the fashion, um, I guess, wholesale. They do design. Um, they Are they do, still in Argentina? No, they actually, so they moved in LA in the early 90s. Okay. And okay. then they've, they've built a company since then. It's massive in fashion district. I see. Uh, yeah. What's it called? Uh, so they have a, a place called Chocolate USA and then Sky USA. So okay. how the business works, um, they do a lot of 
white label stuff as well too so whether it's like jc pennies uh papaya tj maxx marshalls if you want certain clothes in there but you want your label brand they'll Uh make it design it and just put your label on and sell it to them yeah okay that's awesome okay nice so okay definitely your family has influenced your entrepreneurial like kind of personality right exactly amazing amazing okay so you are in high school Mm-hmm. at some point and then do you decide like what you're going to do with your life yet or how does that work yeah so in high school um i honestly had no clue what i wanted to do um my dad was like oh you have to go to Ude. you have to be a doctor like and you have to study hard so i did study hard i had a full ride to georgia uh i you go know dogs. yeah go dogs <laughs> I didn't graduate there but yeah full ride um i studied really hard i played hard as well too but um I thought that was like the route to go. Um, I wouldn't say I was a genius. I just did well. Like I, I, I knew when to study and do things correctly. I knew mm-hmm. when to have fun. I, I think I definitely had a good balance. And then in college, you know, I was figuring out like, wow, this is, I'm going to spend, you know, like a decade studying. This does not sound like a life that feels meaningful. Yeah. And, um, you know, shout out to everyone who's a doctor, you're doing great things. But for yes. me personally, right, I was just like, no way, this can't be it. And slowly, my dad was realizing, like, man, why, you know, you're not you're going to be working crazy hours, you're probably not going to see your family, you, sure, you might make money, but you're not going to have money to spend or have time to spend that money. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, Sean, maybe you should just be an entrepreneur, whether it's joining the family business or something in that nature. Okay. And I remember that I distinctively remember that conversation, um, my senior year of high school. So, um, yeah, I, I, um, you know, I go through my first semester and during that time I was, um, at this dorm called 1516, instead of being, uh, at UGA, rather than being just a freshman oriented dorm, it was all four levels, but which made socializing quite difficult. Like nobody was really opening their doors and going from dorm to dorm. So I took it upon myself every Friday night to open up the third floor kitchen and cook for people, Korean food, uh, and just to spark conversation, just to bring social gathering, because I knew how important food was to bring people together. It was the easiest way to get people interested, Uh, you know, free food is not going to say yes. Um, and it just got everybody in that kitchen talking. Um, people wow. that you wouldn't see before. It was so great, beautiful diversity, what I like to put. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm like so amazed because like um that's not normal, Sean. <laughs> like, like, like I mean, I'm sure you know, like, but to initiate a gathering like that, especially as a freshman, but the desire for community to happen is really mm. special. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so what what grew from that? Yeah, Just so like, um I kind of really thought whether or not I wanted to be a doctor a lot during that time. And then I kind of took it upon myself and said, I think I really want to cook. Like, so I, I've been cooking for people. Like, I loved food. I grew up around this food culture. You know, I mentioned even on YouTube, like that era of growing and having these cooking channels explode and things of that nature being yeah. so accessible to different recipes. Uh, I didn't just have to call my Komo to ask for, hey, Komo, how do I make this kochori or something like that? Mm-hmm. It was all available uh, on just on your computer or even your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent a lot of my junior and senior year in high school bringing Mm, don't skip school kids but I skipped school and I would cook for people if they skipped with us uh and at my house um and that's just how I love serving people yeah um it it, it was just a beautiful moment for me to see that 
something I worked so hard on, although it's gone in seconds, but people, it put a smile on people's faces and it brought everyone to the table. Um, I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's still true to this day. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ultimately drop out of college and go stage in Europe. Yeah. I said, wow, I wanted to Korean food, um, a contemporary Korean food, uh-huh. uh, but I want to go just work for free uh, and just work from a bottom way up, whether it's a komi or just dishwasher and just work my way up in the kitchen. This romance of cooking. And that was yeah, a thing like, for a lot of oh, people. What movie is this from? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that okay. was definitely that fall. I remember distinctly it was like a fall um, time of that freshman year. And I was like, man, I, this is what I want to do. And I, I didn't. I didn't bring it up to my dad, but I was like saving money and I was like ready to, because you know, I was getting refunds from my scholarships. And I was like, okay, I have enough money to logistically go yes. Europe. And, <laughs> and I was planning things out. And I was being a stupid 18 year old. Uh, but I unfortunately got into a crazy life changing accident mm-hmm. on my, um, in January of 2016, my second semester of freshman year. Um, I, I was paralyzed from the waist down from a car accident, which was entirely oh, my, my fault. I wasn't drunk or anything, just fell asleep on the wheel. <gasps> Oh my goodness. Um, and in that moment, and, you know, I won't break too much down of, you know, how I got into the accident. Uh, but once I impacted, I lost sensation on my legs. I didn't pass out. I was awake for all of this. And I remember losing, I remember feeling my legs for a split second and losing sensation. And then I remember screaming and panicking and not understanding what had happened. I had to sustain a spinal cord injury it meant that my spinal cord was pinched. And it was mainly from the swelling, from the impact. Oh uh, and since there was no one around, I actually bent over with a broken back, which I wasn't supposed to do. Uh, but again, it's my first time ever breaking a bone in 18 years. Right. I didn't know I had a spinal cord injury. I just thought I was in shock. And so that bending over had caused more pressure to pinch on my spinal cord, which uh-huh. really caused severe uh, injury, um, according to my surgeon. Uh, but at the same time, um, he, my, my surgeon told me like, hey, like your, your burst fraction how my vertebrae, the T12 had split, you were bleeding internally. So, you know, if you didn't call, you were playing with time right there. If you didn't call, who knows if you would have bled out, you know, internally or not. So I call it the grace of God that, you know, despite the injuries, despite the paralysis, we're still here, you know? Um, But I remember distinctively, I was praying. I was like, God, I don't know if I'm going to die, but just let my parents know I love them. Let them know my family, I love them. And uh, yeah, I I, I just hope that I'm going to make it. And, you know, people say like, oh, you hear a voice. I had this overwhelming sensation, just like call me all panic disappeared and said, Sean, you're fine. I don't know if you're going to walk again, but I promise you, you're going to be okay. And and I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And uh-huh. so, yeah. And I've been good ever since. Sure. They're yeah. up and down, but I'm still alive. I'm still thriving. You yes. know, life is moving forward. And I still look back to that day. And I think that moment in time, but when I heard that and felt that it, it like forever imprinted in me. And that's kind of why I have like in, an immense amount of optimism <laughs> every single oh, yeah. waking moment in my yes. life. <laughs> I, you know, um, I hope that myself included, like we can live that way through you you know what i mean mm-hmm. like through your experience and stuff that's that's really incredible man thank goodness that you're here and we can all experience mokja from oh yeah from that, I'm, it is definitely yeah you could say it's a gift from god <laughs> yes okay so obviously i i am curious though like how long did it take you from like you know the accident 
through recovery to even mm-hmm. just be able to like function. And I mean, I'm as optimistic as you are. I'm sure there were many times that was like, are you going to get up the next day? Right? Am oh, I wrong? Oh, actually, because I was so sure from that, I'm telling you at that moment when I prayed and it said, you're going to be okay. I, I wasn't on antidepressant compared to everybody else on the floor at my okay. rehab center. I was I was happy and optimistic every single day. There <gasps> sure. were moments where, you know, I was in pain and but I was like, you know, I'm still I, I know that I'm gonna be okay. So even if there's a bad bump in the road, it, everything's gonna be okay. So like that's what I'm saying. This this overwhelming optimism really triumphs a lot of the bad days. And sure, bad days happen. That's life, you know? Yes. Um and sure, but I I didn't really have a moment where other than when I got sent to Korea and got stuck there, and well, I could, I'll briefly share that. Um, um, other than that moment, uh, everything has been pretty, pretty. Yo, thank you God for this life. Because after almost dying, it, everything's a plus in life. <laughs> Seriously, everything's Sorry, a plus. I don't mean to like chuckle, but like, but I mean, yeah, I. And I, I apologize for assuming otherwise, Sean. I'm faithless, and I guess, but no, but, but um, no. But like, I thank you for being so transparent and honest about that. I think that's really incredible. Like, you know, for me, that's like, you know, what that really is, God. Like, He mm. is real because mm. that's not again. It's again. It's not. Um, I feel like it's not what usually happens because you even you just mentioned like on your floor too, there were many people that were suffering and going through depression or yeah. what, what, is that what you said? Yeah, I don't wish this upon anybody. Your yeah, whole life yeah. changes. Yeah, but um, that's really amazing. Thank you for sharing that part of your story with me. Um, what about Korea now? Yeah, so, you know, my dad, um, as any loving parent, you, you're a mother yourself, you would do anything yes. for your child, of you know, course, yeah. especially after the, you know, they were, mm-hmm. you know, they were fine walking and now, you know, paralyzed and the doctor saying it's permanent, you're going to try everything in, in your power um, to, to do what you can as a parent. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best option for your child as well. Yeah. Um, so he had sent me uh, being as Korean as he is, he had sent me to Korea to do Eastern or West Eastern medicine. Um, so I stayed at a Hanbang hospital um, okay. on top of physical therapy. They were doing chim. They were like doing thumb, like burning incense and making me drink hanyak. And like, none of this was working. And I wasn't even sold on that. Like, you know, I would, I've had already made peace with, um, with not walking again. Not that I have given up, because I remember a sermon, um, it was back at my freshman year at UGA, where like, it was it was a corny one. It was like microphone, the wired microphone, right? The mm-hmm. microphone portion is our life. It's very short, but the, the cord, it goes endlessly. And that's what eternity is. So mm-hmm. I really, pers- like God really put it in perspective as in like, Sean, I know you might be very like uncomfortable in, in the chair and there's going to be hard times, but know that like, that's not what I created you for. Like when you come uh, and, 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 and live in, paradise like you you don't have to worry about that so like understanding that and coming to terms with that i i didn't give up on walking i just knew that you know my time here is what it's set for and i'll just find um thankfulness and appreciation despite my situation that's yeah, uh, yeah. but obviously no one's going to understand that other than myself because everyone's mm-hmm. like oh poor you you're disabled you're in the right. chair right. Your, your life must suck like that's and i understand why because you know perspective is a huge thing mm-hmm. so 
yeah I, my dad had left me in korea I took my passport and was like hey oh yeah gosh. like you can't come back you have to go through the treatment and like at, there were it was i remember i was on the 12th floor um and i'm i'm in the chair unlike all the other patients uh and i was like my life sucks i'm, I'm miserable like i i like god i'm i'm okay with what had happened i've come to terms with that uh and i'm thankful to be alive but why am i trapped here why am i spending my days here why am i stuck here why yeah. can't i just like yeah, and it, I I went to a really dark place, and it, I like was laughing and crying because I wanted to jump off the twelfth floor, but I couldn't because I couldn't even stand. So I was just crying, staring <laughs> at the glass wall. Yeah. Oh my word! Yeah. So that, yeah, there was a there was a very deep moment because oh I was stranded there. I'm I'm a foreigner because I'm Korean American. Right. Uh, I speak Korean pretty comfortably, right. but I'm still, as any Korean American knows very well, in America, you're you're Korean, but in Korea, you're an American. You have no home. Nice. You have no understanding. And that was even more being three months in Korea. Um, so th- that was a very, that was the darkest moment of my time. Yeah. And you know, what's going through my mind though, is like, like you said, I am a parent and I'm thinking about your dad too. I'm sure mm-hmm. he thought this is right. Yeah, like, of course. That's like, what I'm saying. Yeah. It, even though my son is like him did all and the course mm-hmm. and work has to go through this, like he has to go through this is what he was thinking. Yeah. You know, like you have to do this in order to like, what if, what if it does work? You know, work, like things like exactly. that. that hope oh my goodness. And, and then that's... you just got depression and yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, I had the heart to see where dad was coming from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And just, and I was just praying and hoping, like asking, Hey, l- just give me more strength to keep pushing on. Cause I know where his heart is. I know his intentions are good. And mm-hmm. although he's not understanding my heart, I hope that he does one day. Yeah. yeah that's, that's hard. Okay. So like you have this new optimism now. Mm-hmm. And so then, then I'm assuming something is birthed out of that, but what happens next? Yeah. After so, you go, oh, sorry. I, we were talking about though, like, how long did it actually take for you to like get out of the hospital and like live a no- somewhat normal mm, life for you? Like, five months. Oh, okay. It's yeah. Less than I thought, actually. But yeah, I moved pretty quick. I was determined <laughs> to show. <laughs> I was determined to show my parents, hey, I'm disabled, but I will make it. I'll I'll make this work. Uh, and great. So I transferred my credits at GG, to GDC. It did a summer semester to catch up what I missed my second semester. I transferred to Georgia State because while I was in rehab center, I prayed about what I wanted to do. And I told God, hey, God, I want to do restaurants. And I don't know if you approve of this. Or this is what's in my life. But uh-huh. it's a heart that I've had and I want to explore it. Okay. Um, so I just ask that you just watch over while I do this. Whether I fail or not, that's fine. I just want to let you know that this is something I wanted to pursue. And so I've, I I made that decision while while at Shepherd Center, my rehab, and I transferred to Georgia State for a hospitality degree and a focus in restaurants. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And then and then you just okay. Actually, that degree. What does that mean? Hospitality and restaurants. So hospitality is basically the service of being hospitable, basically okay. whether it's anything that's in service related. So of private events, weddings, music, or like, you know, music events, food and beverage, hotels, that's what hospitality is. Okay. You're serving people. Okay. And so um, this is a major that is in most universities? Not really in most oh, universities. I think okay. it was here, uh, Cornell, and then a university in Las Vegas at the time. Corn- I know Vegas is really popular with hospitality. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's I've heard that before. Okay. And so um, you said... I mean, okay, I guess what I'm asking is, does a major offer courses that will, like, 
get you started in like restaurants? And- yes and no. Like they'll teach you, they focus more on restaurant management, but okay. work, I personally think that schools can teach you all they want on, on textbooks, but mm. if you, in order to truly get um, what you're going to be doing, you need to be out there in the field, whether it's through an internship or actually working a part-time job. Uh, and so, and that's really applicable in restaurants. Like you, you can be theoretical all you want, but you won't know until you actually go into the space where, where you're working in. Right. I agree. Uh, my husband and I always talk about how we wish we had worked for a year or two before going to college because mm. then you would actually learn something. But <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> but, um, I agree. Okay, but my I guess my question also is okay. Someone maybe someone's listening right now and they're like, oh, like I want to be a like go into restaurants or go into hotels. Like, um, is hospitality like helpful in getting into those fields? I think. When you're approaching college, you uh-huh. need to be intentional. You need to be using the resources. Like college is not just taking the classes. It's about using the network there because a lot of the professors are well networked. Yes. Uh, and and they, if you are, and I, I'm telling this right now, if you're listening, if you are going into classes, networking with your professors, going into these events and just being out there, you're already ahead of the game because not many students do that because a lot of students are lost. They don't know what they're yes, doing. They just think, yes. I take my class and I'm going to get a job. And that's not true. You have mm-hmm. to put the groundwork. You have to be out there, uh, be presentable. And just that's how that's how life works, networking. If you know somebody, that's going to make it easier for you to climb wherever you are, whether it's corporate setting or a blue collar job. That's how it works. Yes. Yeah. That's a lot of the actually advice people give on the podcast, too. Mm. And I think um, it should be easier today, I feel like, with social media. But at the same time, I think it's also made a lot of people, this is my just my soapbox now, like mm-hmm. a little bit like more introverted, too, on because it's mm-hmm. like just a screen between people. But yeah. Um, yeah, it is an interesting concept to think about. But yes, networking is very important. Okay, so um, you graduate with a degree in hospitality, I'm assuming. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. And then what? <laughs> so I actually, Mokjo was a senior project at Georgia State for a class called Franchising. And oh, so, we were so tasked, it's like, okay, interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. We were tasked for our final project to make a franchise, obviously for franchise class. Uh-huh. So we had to get all the analytics uh, in terms of like doing a business plan as well as getting our comps. Uh, and yeah, just basically doing... Um, if you did that project seriously, you could actually pitch it. Uh, if it's a decent project, you could actually pitch it to a bank or an investor and uh-huh. they would actually, they, yeah, they would actually be interested. But we actually had a full panel of of entrepreneurs that came and sat and graded our projects. Really? Yeah. You know, I've heard, so I've heard there's something similar at Georgia Tech with like all the engineering departments. They have to do like a capstone project and like mm-hmm. it's actually like, at the end of it, you should be able to take it to any like firm, mm-hmm. and they'll if you can use it as like a job. What is it? Yeah, interview or something? I I think yeah. Again, it's about the intentionality. If you truly mm-hmm. took the time, like for me, I went to restaurant after restaurant after restaurant, meeting with managers, meeting with owners, sitting down, mm-hmm. talking to them for two hours, and really understanding my comps for this for this concept. Interesting. Uh, and I, I took it very seriously. I, th- I got a ninety five uh, Ooh, for that. Not, yeah. Uh, what? That's it? <laughs> yeah, ninety five. Um, but um, that's kind of where the idea came from. But like even in college. Or, 
during college, despite being in the wheelchair, um, I was trying to get a job in, in the restaurant field because I already knew how important it was to be in there. But, you know, to no one's surprise, it's really hard to work in a kitchen while being in a wheelchair. It's, just, right. it's a logistical nightmare. So I had someone called Edmund. Uh, shout out to Edmund Hong. Um, he oh, I helped- know Edmund. Yeah, he helped. Uh, he used to do a uh, pop-ups uh, yeah, here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I used to uh, pop in here and there. And he, he was like, hey, come do herb work or help out a line. And that was like the smallest introduction that really, uh, that left a impression to be like, wow, I think I really want to do this. And that yeah, that was my foot in the door to oh. really getting some experience. Uh, I had worked at other restaurants before uh, my injury, but it was really difficult to find something after injury. Mm. But um, with that, that really gave me my motivation to travel more, to eat more, to understand operations and kitchens more. So I would travel and just be in restaurants and just stare at kitchens, just see how the lines work and things like that. Yeah, just really understanding uh, the business side of what makes a good kitchen run. Um, and that's just, again, being more being intentional with what you want to do. Um, and you know, while all that was going on, we were doing cookouts at my apartment with my uh, with my roommate and inviting people over. Hey, what do you think about a teriyaki concept in, in Atlanta? Because um, he's from Seattle. He, he has family from Seattle. Teriyaki is huge there. Teriyaki actually really, really big in um, in California and SoCal as well. Uh, there's a place I grew up called Rascals. Used to okay. be a Japanese little mini mart, but they serve the best teriyaki chicken and Chinese chicken oh. salad ever in California. Um, I'm not sponsored, but if you're ever in California, <laughs> give it a shot. <laughs> um, but yeah, all of this was going on during my time. So yeah, trying to trying to find restaurants to work in, helping admin with a small little pop-ups, um, and uh, cooking for you know friends and families at, at the apartment, and then you know taking restaurant courses and classes, and eventually doing this major project. And once I graduated, I I, I told Peter, who who was uh, the co-founder of Mokcha, I'm like. Yo, are you doing anything? He graduated from Georgia Tech in finance. He's like, no. He, he worked at restaurants since, since 16. I was like, dude, you have great front of house experience. I have uh, a decent knowledge of not per se operations for back of house or the kitchen, but I can cook. Let's mm-hmm. let's do something. And that's where Mokcha really took its spotlight of like, hey, let's open a Korean fried chicken concept here in the city for the city. Um. Okay, so just so amazing honestly but like i'm listening and i'm like i i feel overwhelmed right like i'm like i'm like okay like all of that i love it i am all for dreaming big and making things happen i'm all about it trust me hopefully we get to know each other more after this um uh but like how do you okay you have kind of like a plan from your mm-hmm. your senior project right and you have some sort of ideas of how to get started but how do you really get started you know yeah. like where do you start to like even okay i want to open a restaurant mm-hmm. like what do you do so <laughs> what i mean there's no step one step two step three there are okay. just a lot of moving parts that so for us we were looking for a location first mm. we knew the general idea we haven't even made a menu but we we knew what we had to find a location that made sense to be in and we had to understand the foot traffic the cost for square feet uh the overhead all of that mm-hmm. and so we initially started with the real estate agent but they did not work in our favor at all they had really hurt us more than helped us so oh, we after using them for a year and failing we ended up just driving around the city by like just us two looking for four lease signs and just uh cold calling and seeing if people would be interested in our business plan and our concept oh. uh, and so 
that was where we started. And once we, uh, and you know, since during that, what we had one year where we had no luck. And so Peter was still working and I was kind of slowly developing a menu and understanding like what we wanted to really pursue on that menu. Uh, and the most important is like, Hey, what about funding? How did you get funding for yes. me? Okay. Networking is huge. So I was able to get a private uh, angel loan um, through my family and yeah. And if you, sure, I did under, I took courses on how to get an SBA loan and things of that nature, but I didn't have to. And again, the smartest business you can do is having, giving less equity of your, your concept of your business for your money. And mm -hmm. so that, that's, um, that's kind of the route that I went, uh, I took, but I did do my background research. If I needed to get SBA or I needed to pitch it to the chamber of commerce in Atlanta, I was ready to do that, but mm -hmm. I had a, I took the best deal that I was given. And again, mm -hmm. that's just networking, knowing the people that you know as well. Um, so all of that was going on, like sourcing a place, doing the menu, like in conjunction while this whole year of failing to find a location, all of the background work or the groundwork was getting put together. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and, and yeah, putting a team uh, to kind of um, put our vision into something tangible. Um, but I remember, I think it was in um, 2019 winter time, we had found the space, it, it was in Midtown, um, it was off the off street, but still it's in Midtown. We thought it was a prime location. There was so much foot traffic from the, from, I guess the corporate workers. And we thought, okay. wow, what better place uh, to be in? Uh, we thought Midtown would be a lot more open to the idea of Korean food, just because of the, uh, that, I guess, demographics that was there too. Uh, so we called and they took a chance on us, uh, even though we're a brand new concept with no ownership experience, we did our work. Um, they were very excited for the concept and we signed in January of 2020. Uh, January you know, of 2020. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> yeah, your eyes just lit up, didn't it? So as, as everyone already knows, 2020 was a horrendous year for the entire world. Um, and little did we know, just two weeks after we had signed those papers, uh, COVID would hit. That is crazy. Yeah. That's crazy, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we were like, wow, we are screwed. Um, right. I yeah. would think the same thing, but you've come this far. It was not easy. Um, <laughs> like, there, man, this is a lot. Um, so during that time, City Hall decided to close down, um, meaning that you couldn't get any permits. No construction was allowed to be done. And you were just right. at a limbo. But there's a ticking time bomb because you signed a lease, meaning that you have to eventually start paying your rent. And But if you can't even open your concept or do work on your concept to make sales, how are you paying that rent? You're bleeding your capital. What do you need that capital to open and pay, to pay your pay your workers, pay for supplies, pay for construction to build out, which hasn't even started. Like It's already a disaster. I'm, I, I want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This sounds like doom. Like you're, you're screwed. Um, but you know, we, we, we did some things such as, um, Atlanta, it's a little corrupt in the sense that if you know people, <laughs> okay. if you know people, they'll get the job done. So okay. despite city hall being closed, we had people that knew that, that were still working behind the scenes that was able to help us kind of get the ball rolling to really get our permits. Cause our landlord wasn't, um, as gracious to give us the whole like the whole time or even a reduced rent for oh, yeah it was a rough time and so they told us in October, in august like hey starting september you have to pay full rent and we're like holy crap we are screwed we haven't even finished construction um right. and you know we 
we are scrambling and we get connected to someone from uh gra which is georgia restaurant association they're okay. huge about helping restaurants especially during this time and uh we had to go through a bunch of loopholes calling you know uh like a city commissioner which is like one of the top dogs in the city to give us the aok to open without certain permits because you know we told them hey we're a struggling restaurant we haven't even got a chance to open and we're mm-hmm. gonna go out of business and lose all our money uh you know without even opening our doors and so all all of that happened in three months from August to October when we opened our doors in October. But this is a this is the thick of COVID, so there's no vaccine. Right. Uh, and you know, dine-in is not available. Everyone's just doing takeout. It's a foreign new concept. Nobody's working in the in the office space, which is, you know, I mentioned earlier what we love right. to see. Yes. And people are scared to come out. We are working super our con- yeah and on top of that we are complete noobs we don't know what we're doing in the kitchen we're still figuring out the logistics and operations and and things like that and yeah. you know, it was an absolute nightmare we were working 16 18 hours a day for about 56 days straight um i my partner and i were hallucinating we were crying um just like yeah just because it was so hard yeah was- i mean i'm gonna cry right now that's like crazy to me because i mean like Listen, okay, if you, uh, I mean, I feel like people wouldn't really understand the gravity of it all. But I think when it comes to like, you know, I mean, I think about, again, I'm putting myself in your shoes. And then like having on top of that a family, I'm like, I can't imagine like the kind of desperation that you felt. And like you took a risk, you know, this is a huge risk in itself. And then the pandemic hits and it's like craziness like everything that you were banking off of like like you said the foot traffic the working people like everything looked great everything it's just (laughs) it's like god what are you doing is it that was it that was was basically it yeah Um, and you know we just said we can't fail we just got to keep working uh and we were losing like 20 grand a month which is not (laughs) that's crazy guys yeah i'm yeah um we weren't even paying ourselves. Uh, and yeah, it was just a really rough and dark time. And, and, you know, I remember January was one of the worst times ever. Half the staff caught COVID, still no vaccine. So 2021? We 2021 in January. Okay. Yeah, vaccines came out, I think, in May of that year. Okay. And then so we had to pray and ask the staff that didn't catch COVID to keep running the store, it, like, on behalf of us. And yeah. And they did. They did. They really did. Uh, they were working crazy hours just as us. And, you know, shout out to the original crew that really went through so much mess. Um, and, you know, they got a lot of hurt from that because they were the guinea pigs and my heart breaks for them every time. But I'm just so thankful for what they sacrificed to really help build the, the concept. Um, but, yeah, that was really dark times. Um, and I, I would say we weren't doing well for like, uh, I think... In that 2021 of when vaccines came out, there was something called Safe Restaurants America, uh, okay. where they were doing a grant, which means free money. You don't have to pay back like PPE. We actually didn't even qualify for PPE or all of these other money back because we had we weren't in business, like because we couldn't <laughs> open for business, you know. So we were just screwed. Like okay. it was looking bleak. Uh, terrible. Like everything that looked like rainbows and sunshine went from looking like Dante seventh, like seventh inferno. Like, and, and, yeah, that's kind of what it looked like and felt like. Uh, but we had applied for this Save Restaurants America the minute that it opened uh, in May. And we heard back two weeks later and they said, here is the grant. And it wow. was just, and we were about to close our doors the week before that. Uh, I remember telling my wife and crying to her, like, Yo, well, the, like or I will, she's actually 
uh, my girlfriend at the time, I was like, babe, like this is, I, I think we're going to have to close our doors. Like it, we don't have any money. Like there's, we're not getting enough sales. It's still way too hard. Dining is not normal. Nothing's still normal. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not getting the sales because, you know, Korean fried chicken, we're one of the first ones to do it in the city. Yeah. So it's a brand new concept that people aren't familiar with. So, okay. and you're opening a brand new business and it's a pandemic, like all the odds are stacked against us. Right. It was just destined to fail. But then we get that call and says, hey, you're approved for this grant. And that grant literally is what kept us afloat we paid the majority of our deaths and just kept even though we're, we're losing money still months after that it helped soften the blow right. um, and to get us to the point where we we started breaking even uh, about a year and a half later and started making some money and you know i'm not rich by any means but it, t- it takes care of my staff takes yes. care of our, our expenses yes. i get to take home a little to t- take care of my family and we're just continuing to grow because the first two years of covid of our restaurant history because we've opened been open for three the first two was just surviving right. this this year right here 2023 is what i call our first normal year That's and if you know anything about restaurants your first year or two of regular time, not even COVID time, you are losing money like crazy, especially for your, for your first concept. So like, yeah, well, I, you know, people are like, oh man, it's been three years. You aren't making money yet. And I'm like, no, 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 no. If like, I call it God's grace. Like the fact that we got that grant to pay for everything and it's all about timing. Like I want to grow and pace out and I'm sure that will come, but I've learned so many lessons. It's almost like a PhD course of how to build a brand, how to build, um, you know, smarter operations, what to think for the next time I open another concept or I duplicate or franchise. Like there were a lot of lessons to be learned. And I I just take that, those moments and those hardship as like, it was time for me to grow rather than just be impatient thinking like I was just going to make a bunch of money. Yeah. 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 Man, I'm, and I'm, I feel like um, there's so many, again, yes, it sounds like you learned a lot. And then what's interesting to me though, um, and I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts about what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I feel like you started the restaurant too because you you really are passionate about people coming together to eat, right? And then COVID happens. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, I mean, literally the thing you were, the reason you're starting it was to bring people together. Yeah. And then like, we can't come together like for real like mm-hmm. literally a pandemic hit and like a, a, a thing that we ne- i mean i never imagined happening in my lifetime yeah yeah and then like i mean how did you feel like were you confused at all or <sighs> i think i think <laughs> were you optimistic Sean? no i was still optimistic because i remember after work you know it's it's 12 12 a.m we yeah. just open, we break open a can of beer and we just look at the space, me and my partner. Mm. We're like, we did this. Yes. We opened this. It was a dream and it's here, right? Here. Mm. We're sitting in this. And, and, and that's how, that's how, even though, you know, those 56 days nonstop, 16, 18 hours, that's how we felt every time, every time. That's so we just funny. looked at it. It's like, we're, we're here. We actually did it. We've already done what most people wish they did in their lifetime. Um, like, you know, everyone hopes and wishes that they could do, uh, you know, oh, I want to do this, but they don't ever, they just let life pass instead of actually yeah. doing it. But we didn't say, we did that at 23. Uh, we, we we had a vision. I mean, yeah, for, it's crazy. <laughs> we had a vision. We said we we're going to do it and we actually did it. And whether it fails or not, it's, it's okay because, um, well, I say it's okay, but the sentiment of that is it's okay because we actually did what most men could not do. 
Um, well, I just um, it really is amazing to hear it all. I'm I and I f- I feel like there's so much more you could go into detail about, but mm. I just would like to say, Sean, like truly congratulations. Like I know there's still a long way to go, but to endure the last three years and um, be where you guys are today, I feel like is extraordinary. Truly, truly. Thank you. Yeah, it's, no. It's been, uh, yeah, it was a tough past couple of years, but you know, we've, again, if there are bumps in life and you, as long as you persevere and go through it, you just look back and smile on it and be like, I did that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, um, but you know, I think that's where people get stuck. Like, what do you think? Like, it's like, there's this thing they want to do. Right. But then there's no plan in place. And so it's hard to execute, you know, something that you just really desire to see happen. But mm-hmm. my hope with the podcast is to be able to tell stories like yours and be and try to like eliminate the fear of the unknown a little bit mm-hmm. and um, allow people to hear stories that, hey, look, it, it is possible you just got to push through a little bit or do this. If you know X, Y, and Z, then this could mm. happen also. And so thank you again for just being really transparent. I'm sure there's so much more. And I, I hate to put you on the spot, Sean, but I do ask my guests if there's somebody that is interested in knowing more about your story or just learning more about hospitality and being a restaurateur, like, would you be open to me connecting them with you? Oh, yeah. Actually, if you're listening to this podcast and want to hear, yeah, reach out um, or just DM us uh, and just say specifically you heard it from um, mm. the podcast. And uh, I'll, you can meet me at my restaurant and I'll, I'll break bread with you and answer awesome. any questions you want. That's awesome. Oh, you know, OK. So like even that, like, um, are you in the are you cooking in the kitchen? A lot? No. The, con- okay. the concept was made in, with the intentionality to be a national concept where mm-hmm. I don't even have to be in the kitchen that it, I can hire, teach everybody what I would cook, how it tastes. Uh, and so because I want this to be a national brand, uh, the end goal is to be, yeah, you know, uh, 200,000 stores and then sell the private equity that I just actually had a business meeting today regarding <gasps> that about what is my goal? What is my plan? What is the future of Mokcha? Yeah. Okay, so like when will that start happening, you think? Uh, it's, I mean, when it happens, I mean, we're slowly in the works. We're still growing our first store, you know, yeah. with this being our first normal year. And if there are any opportunities that arises and if the numbers make sense, we'll take it and we'll move oh, forward with it. Amazing. Oh, man, yeah. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to watch and see it unfold. Um, and I can say, you know, it started, I mean, there's some, you know, I take pride in the city too. I love Atlanta. Like mm-hmm. I said, I went to UC Irvine, never had intention moving back but god brought me back here and mm-hmm. um it is special it's a special place so it's really cool that it's it's starting here and mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be nationwide one day um okay we're rounding out our time together and i always ask the same question to end uh, our conversation is uh what do you like the least about what you do uh That's a hard question, actually. What is? Uh, well, I guess I'll talk as an owner, not just a restaurateur, but okay. as an owner. Um, it's carrying the burden of 
being an owner without other people understanding. Because if you're not a business owner, you won't understand the struggles and pains and the perspective that I hold. Um, you, a lot of times, especially with my cust- or customers, they'll just complain about things and not truly understand. Or even employees, an employee will never understand the struggles and pains mm-hmm. that an owner goes through. So those are very lonely experience yeah. and hardships to go through. Yeah, um, sure. But thankfully, I, you know, I have a loving wife that always consoles me and just tries to understand the best that she can and supports me. I have friends who are also owners and entrepreneurs that I can vent to and explain, but it's a very lonely road at the same time, because you do shoulder a lot of responsibility and weight for your position and what you do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine it's difficult to if you've definitely never if you've never been in that place either. It would be difficult to understand some of the things that you go through. I mean, like, and even the decisions that you have to make by yourself, that some people would be like, why did you make that decision? But you have your own reasoning. Yeah, that would be tough. Okay, what do you like the best about what you do? Uh, That the food that I created that was a humble dream is now feeding uh, thousands of people every Mm -hmm. month uh, that people actually pay for it. And they are they think it's their favorite restaurants that we have people from other states. That's you know when you go when you go visit California, you're like oh you have to try this restaurant. We are yeah. that for a lot of people when they come to Atlanta, and we'll have like oh my friend from New York told me about this spot. Oh my friend from Miami told me about this spot. So oh, my friend from Houston told me about this. Um, yeah, that that is a very humbling experience. I oh my gosh, that must be so fun for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome man i now i really have to get to the restaurant i have not been yet guys but i'm definitely going to try to get my family to go um to venture to the city and uh have to try mokja um okay last question advice uh do you have any advice for somebody that's listening that maybe is interested in opening a restaurant one day maybe they're dreaming of that too or just Mm. any life advice at all i feel like you've given a lot of um great little tidbits but maybe something to round it out uh i'll speak about restaurants actually um Restaurants aren't as beautiful. The margins are tough. Um, Mm. But if it's something that you're truly passionate about doing, uh, like there was this facade uh, of like how it's portrayed on the show. Don't think that cooking has to just be I own my restaurant to be successful. Like there's so many different ways to find success in the food industry and have really good work life balance. That's Mm. a super big thing that people should strive for, not slaving away at your job and not having anything left for your family and friends, because those are very important things in your life that you should have. Um, So before you fully committed to something as big as a project as opening a restaurant, mm-hmm. work in, work in restaurants and don't just work in a fast food, which is, you know, that has its own merits, like work in a small business, uh, try to get okay. to know the owner, get real, um, I guess, experience and seeing what that looks like. Uh, Cause that's the shoes that you, that's the closest shoes you'll actually be into if you, that's the route you want to go, but know that there's other ways to, to do food. There's private events, there's catering, mm-hmm. you know, there is um, being a food blogger or being online personnel. Like there's so many aspects. Don't funnel yourself into one thing and saying the rest owning a restaurant is like the end all goal explore all your options and really think about it because yeah open like opening a restaurant when you're locked in a lease there's nowhere else to go so take your time don't rush it uh, but be intentional about what you want to do um, as long as you're intentional about and 
really honest about what you want to strive, whether it's restaurants or even whatever you want to do. Um, if you have that and you're set up on it, don't keep second guessing and stay on the fence. Just take the first step and start moving forward. And yeah. even if they're baby steps, because that, that was the, those foundational baby steps will create, you know, these large towers in your life that really, um, will, you know, allow you to feel like, yeah, I, I, you know, I took those steps. I built this foundation. Look at where I am now. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that, Sean. I think um, that's the hardest part for a lot of people just to start conversations about the things that they love. Um, Mm. Because again, it can be intimidating, I think at times, but the way that you broke it down for me this evening um, was really encouraging. And I, and I hope that a lot of people will take it to heart. Mm. Um, Hey guys, uh, you heard it here. Sean is totally willing uh, to hang out with you if you have more questions. So just feel free to, you can um, probably DM, what is the, is it Mokja ATL? Yep, that's our Instagram handle. Okay, yeah, so you can um, Instagram Mokja ATL if you have trouble doing that. I don't know why you would, but if you did, uh, you can feel free to DM me and I'll definitely connect you to Sean. Um, Sean, thank you again for your story, for your heart, for the people of Atlanta, for the people everywhere, you know, like just bringing communities together. Um, I'm all about that vibe. So I really appreciate your story and um, you taking the time to come talk with me tonight. Yeah, no, thank you once again. I'm glad that I could share. Hopefully this helps anyone that's listening. Seriously, uh, I'm not kidding. Please come to our restaurant, not even just to buy anything. But if you want to sit down and learn more or just be inspired with, I know having role models that are Korean Americans mm-hmm. is super big for me. So, yes. you know, uh, if you know, you're know you in high school or something and you're looking for role models or yeah, I'd love to introduce you to other people. If for any specific industry you want to know, it's all about networking. And for you, Blair, please bring your family. We have validated parking, so don't worry about city parking Great. prices that's a huge <laughs> thing i know so yeah come and eat some mokja. i would, I'd love I would to pay it you. anyways just to try it so um all right well thank you again sean i'm really looking forward to hanging out at your restaurant guys if you're in atlanta please go check out mokja in midtown um thanks for listening until next time bye sean bye guys bye